Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello guys, welcome to our show. Today we discuss about decoding JavaScript in ACO. I'm so excited to learn more about that because it's important today to have website without technical errors, to have site speed, to have website without bugs. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Katie Ellis Brown. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. You know, it's it's a topic that won't, doesn't go away because websites are getting more and more complicated and people are using JavaScript more and more. So knowing about how JavaScript can impact your SEO is important. Katie, welcome back. You shared all the available insights first time and uh, introduce yourself for new listeners who might not know you, sure. uh, but want to know about your business experience anything that can help to learn more about you. Sure. So yes, I am Kathy Alice Brown. Um, the reason I'm Kathy Alice Brown is because there's something like 8,000 Kathy Browns in the US. So that's why I have the Alice in there is just to distinguish yeah. myself. Um, and then if you search on that, you should find me. Um, so I've been an SEO consultant. Oh my gosh, I think it's 14 years now. So I've been at this game for a while and I primarily do focus on technical SEO. Although um, I've always, I've done a little things like copywriting and some content ideation. So I get my hands dirty and all sorts of things, but yeah, technical SEO is my primary focus. And uh, I'm an independent. Um, so I, I work a lot with agencies. A lot of times they'll bring me in as the technical lead on a project. And then I have my own clients and I've been independent uh, for a while. Um, the other thing I'm doing right now is right now I'm an expert in residence at Previsible, which is a agency that does SEO consulting, but they also focus on operation. Let's see if I get that word right. Operationalizing mm -hmm. SEO. It's you know, so they help people kind of build SEO teams and things like that. And so that's that's a gig I'm doing right now. I do two days a week with them. Um, so yeah, that's mm -hmm. all about me. Um, prior to SEO, I was a um, web engineering manager. So that's kind of why I lean technical. Is that's my background. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Yeah, awesome experience. I spoke with founders of Previsible. They spoke yep. on my podcast. I love them, you know, uh, a lot of value. And Katie, uh, I want to start from your live tools. You mentioned that you help customers with technical optimization. And can you list your tools uh, and advantages or disadvantages of uh, using these tools? Because I see, you know, when People use a lot of tools and don't know what they need to fix, you know, because all tools can list like a thousand errors a lot and it might confuse more than help. So your tips, how to uh, which tools you love it and how to get the right data from them. Oh, boy. So um, I'm a little bit of a chameleon just because um, often when I come into because I work a lot with enterprise clients. So sometimes when I come into a to an end client, they already have their tool set. So I kind of just make do with whatever they have. But 
you know, like a lot of SEOs, I do have my own tools. So of course I have Screaming Frog. I mean, it's almost like you have to have Screaming Frog. It's mm -hmm. just, uh, even if you have a different crawler, it's just a great way to crawl like a section. You get quick, quick, you know, feedback on a section of the site. So I definitely have Screaming Frog. I have Ahrefs, um, which um, I like primarily for kind of competitor research as well as doing a little bit of keyword research because I'm often asked you know, to, to kind of take a look at a page and give some optimization and keyword tips. So uh, Ahref, um, like a lot of people, I'm starting to use um, Bard and ChatGPT um, <laughs> to help me out. Like for example, um, one of the things I've used ChatGPT to, for is to write little code snippets like reg regexes. Um, so for example, you know, if I want to kind of try to pull out, um, out of Google analytics or Google search console, like, um, I want only the, your, to look at the URLs that start with a number and then, you know, that kind of thing. Um, sure. I, I used to be able to figure it out, but when you can have chat GPT, write the check regex for you, it saves some time. I also find that the AI tools are kind of, can be useful for classifying things. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'll run some stuff through just to get a sense of like, uh, you know, can you group these keywords for me? Can you classify them or what, you know, given these classifications, where does this keyword fa fall? Or um, I've, we've even done stuff like just ad hoc. We haven't really automated it, but we've even done stuff like, you know, tell me if the keyword tags on this page are actually relevant to the to the page. Um, so yeah, like a lot of people, I'm 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 starting to explore the exciting new world of AI. So those are the tools that I mostly use. But you know, this little, you know sometimes a little bit of Python can help. Um, there's oh, I have one to just share because not a lot of people know about it. You know how you go into Google Search Console and you only get a thousand rows. Um, to export, like it, you know, whether it's from the performance report or from the pages report, you can you say, oh, you know, you have, you know, this many pages are not are blocked or can't are discovered but not crawl, and you export, and you get a thousand, right? And you're working with a site that's like a hundred thousand or bigger. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, one thing that um, is kind of cool is there's a, a little plugin to Google Sheets called Search Analytics Sheets. Um, and for the performance report, it will actually give you 25,000 rows for free. So um, that's way better than 1,000. So yeah, there's like a lot of, I think, SEOs, I also have kind of a collection of extensions and plugins that I also use. Nice, nice, awesome. Yeah. And uh, I remember when John Mueller uh, said about Google Search Console uh, that it's only one tool that you need. You know, uh, I think uh, Google can tell a lot, you know, that you don't need link building, you don't need <laughs> many things, just create high quality content, but it doesn't work, you know, if you don't use a bunch of tools. And can you tell uh, about what kind of advantages you have on Ahrefs Screaming Frog compared to Google Search Console that provides data for free? Screaming Frog doesn't cost a lot, but Ahrefs is more expensive. So uh, any advantages, disadvantages of any tool that we have? Well, and I'm going to throw one more tool into the mix, but let me start with Screaming yeah. Frog and Ahrefs. So 
Um, I mean, Ahrefs, you get the, I mean, Google Search Console doesn't give you anything about competitors. So mm -hmm. that would be one big advantage right there. And I, I would also mention that SCMrush is also a great tool to research competitors in. Um, so that, you know, that's a, you know, if you're looking at a keyword and you want to get some more information and you want to see who's ranking for it, I mean, Search Console won't help you with that. It only tells you what you rank for now. And, and that's really useful, but um, let's say you want to go into a new area or you're looking at a piece of content that you really haven't, you know, explored that topic. Yeah, Search Console is not going to help you at all with that. So yeah, Ahrefs, you know, competitor information. Um, one really nice thing about Ahrefs is you can, you know, get, a, you know, kind of get information about some keywords and then you can open it up and see the SERP. So you can see who's ranking for it. And so that gives you a sense of what, it helps you understand the search intent under the keyword. When you see what Google's actually ranking for that keyword, um, that's very, very helpful. I, I mean, Screaming Frog, I mean, well, here's one example. So one of the great things about Screaming Frog um, is that you can hook it up with a bunch of APIs. You can hook it up with the Google Search Console API. So let's say, you um, you crawled your site and you have a list of URLs and you and and you hook it up to the Google Search Console API, and if you set it up correctly, it will tell you whether those URLs are actually indexed or not. I mean, so that's something you can do at scale rather than take a URL, pop it into the URL inspector. I mean, it's not that the information is not there; it's just not available at scale where a tool like Screaming Frog will give you page speed insights for all your URLs. Um, it'll give you the indexation. Now it is limited to 2000 rows per day. So it's a bit of a limitation, but that's, you know, that's better than popping in, you know, 2000 URLs one by one. Um, the other thing I would just mention that you're just not gonna get this information from Search Console is tools like Botify or are, and, and, and Screaming Frog also has a log analyzer. It's a separate product. And sometimes knowing what Google's crawling is really important. You can, you can kind of, it, it's a lot, it's a, it, insights that you just, I mean, yeah, they have kind of that report. You can find the crawl stats report through the settings, but it's very, very high level. Um, there's nothing like actually seeing what Google crawls every day to give you a sense of, you know, what Google's kind of spending the most time on on your site. So, yeah, I mean, Search Console's great. And the API, now that we have an API, that's awesome. But it's not the only tool you're going to need. Yeah, I agree. I, I have a bunch of tools. Uh, it's hard to count all of them probably like, Plus sure. 50 tools, extensions that I use every single day, you know. Yes, because, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, all, all tools bring a lot of uh, data value. And yeah, we have no one golden button that you can click and get everything. So we need to use tools. <laughs> and Katie, I want to ask you about choosing priorities. You know, uh, when I check out uh, data from tools, I usually, you know, they, they share a lot of technical errors. No, you're yes. uh, like a technical specialist. Can you tell how to choose priorities or uh, critical errors? Because when you get like a thousand pages that you need to fix, it might confuse what to do, where to go. So any tips about choosing priorities? 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, you had mentioned that before. That's that's a good question. And yes, I would agree. Um, it's a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, so whether you're using a tool or you hire someone like me to come up with, you know, a list of, you know, technical problems, it can be very overwhelming. And I would argue that some of those things are not going to move the needle. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's it's a little bit about you know, years of experience knowing what can work and what helps yeah. and what doesn't. But what I would say is, um, you know, any problems with internal linking, like we, you know, for example, with JavaScript SEO, um, it might be that your links are not even crawlable because you're using something like a JavaScript on click, rather than, you know, Google will not consider a link a link unless there's actually an href in either the raw HTML or the rendered HTML. So, I mean, issues like that when, you know, Google can't even, I mean, you, you have to get your pages crawled. So um, that's really foundational. So if if there's some problem with Google crawling the pages, not being able to see everything on the page, those tend to be pretty high priority because you're, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, there's a whole process of how Google, you get to rank, right? There's the crawling piece. So Google has to be able to crawl and understand your pages. And if you have an obstacle there, it's usually high priority. Now there's some, you know, it's it's all, you know, some of them are probably not more important than other, but yeah. And then, um, you know, then, you know, the process of Google is indexation and then finally ranking. But yeah, so crawling is kind of important. Um, in the indexation realm, generally I worry when you have too many thin pages or kind of low quality pages that are indexable. So generally those are high priority and it depends on how many, if you have one or two, I mean, on a like, you know, half million page site, no big deal, right? But if it's a substantial percentage of the site or a substantial percentage of a section of the site, you know, that that's, that's a problem um, because having a large percentage of thin pages or low quality pages um, on your site um, will, pull your performance down. So there's, so the, I, th I would say those are kind of the two top priorities, some kind of obstacle that um, keeps Google from crawling and indexing your site. Um, and as far as like making sure that you don't have too many, you know, thin or low quality pages, because I want to see high quality pages. It's really not about how many pages you can get into the index. It's how many of your best pages and high quality pages you can get in the index. So um, that's probably the top recommendation I would say is to focus on those things. And you know, there's other things like if you have title tags that are all the same, you know, that's a problem. That's, that's a pretty high priority problem. So title tags, you know, maybe are not quite as, as important as they were like maybe three years ago, but they're still pretty important. And so if you have like issues where your title tags are like really short and they're very similar or they really don't convey the actual intent of the page, I would say that those are pretty important to fix. Um, and again, we, you know, when it comes to JavaScript, um, problems where 
like you're so you've seen this uh, or I've seen this where the right HTML that the server sends over has a no index tag, but the rendered HTML doesn't. I mean, that's a high priority problem because Google will see that no index and go, oh, I don't even need, even need to render this page. I don't even have to go through that extra processing to see the final page. I already know it's no index, so I'm not gonna bother to crawl it. So there's there's issues like that that are also a high priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, valuable. Uh, okay, for example, if uh, a website has a million pages, you know, it's not like 100 pages, and uh, if you got that, you need to fix uh, 20, pages it's not hard no probably hard even you know for small projects like like myself you know yeah uh, i have no time to write a lot of blog posts even to update them uh, right. it depends on priorities <laughs> but when you have a million pages you know wow it's painful and uh, can you tell how to uh, play with this scroll budget uh, for example if i have similar content the duplicate content uh, how to find these pages and what to do because for example for one project we use canonical you know to show that right uh, but google i don't know why but google didn't understand this canonical so we changed mm. this issue to use 301 redirect because because probably i don't know like uh, when you have plus hundred uh, thousand pages google can't you know to find this canonical or any other issue so any tips how to play with twin pages when you have a lot of them like plus uh, hundred thousand pages <laughs> so there's kind of a new word that's been circulated around that people i mean it's it's like a new word but it's an old concept called programmatic mm -hmm. seo and all that really means is um um using programs to actually modify and update your pages at scale and so when you get to sites sites of that size it, you know you're really looking at page types and so with a site that large you quickly move from looking at individual pages to looking at page templates so let's say you're dealing with an e-commerce site site that's fairly large, you typically will have a product listing page, which people in the biz will call a PLP. Then you have a product detail page and that's the actual, you know, so the listing pages are with, um, oh, here's all the bedspreads you can buy. And then it's like, if you click on one, it'll take you to a PDP, a product detail page. And, you know, that's a specific bedspread. Maybe it has some options to choose orange or red, but generally it's that individual product. And then you might have a blog and then you might have kind of marketing pages, like often with e-commerce teams, they want to do sort of, you know, these curated landing pages to sort of feature you know, some kind of thing that they're selling, like sales pages of some sort. And then people will create collection pages. So all of those, each one of those are a page type. And so what you want to do when you look at optimization or improving your site is you want to look at the page template and you want to do something like, hey, um, on this product detail page, we don't have shipping information, which is kind of really important for e-commerce yeah. so we need to add that and you know we need to add that across all of the pdps 
Um, so the whole page type needs to be updated. So you really need to think about that. And usually you're dealing with a, a, a development team or possibly with a platform um, so that when you make these changes, it applies to all the pages in that page type. So yeah, you don't, aside from really curated landing pages, generally you're dealing with updates that will update, you know, a collection of pages that all belong to the same page type. And often what I've seen sometimes is platforms will actually have a template that you can go in and modify. Let's say, you know what, we need an intro paragraph on these, these category pages, these PLPs. Let's ask engineering to add that to the template. And then maybe we can figure out where to pull that content from, like maybe from a database. Um, so those are the kind of things that you do when you're dealing with uh, optimization at scale. And, you know, when you get over into more the marketplace world, you know, sometimes you're thinking about what new page types can I create to take advantage of certain classes of searches. And that's where kind of the programmatic SEO kind of comes in. When you're talking to a Zex, you're explaining to them, well, you know, we don't have this particular filter on uh, your site. And it would be really good if we had these classes of pages to go after these types of keywords. So that's that. Mm -hmm. Now to get to kind of the second part of your question, which is like canonicals. So remember that canonicals are a hint and not a directive. So yeah. Google can ignore them if it wants to. And, and it sometimes does. And, you know, if, if, they're, if they're getting ignored or the wrong canonical is getting selected, well, the very first thing I would kind of make sure of is I, I would make sure that you're not having a JavaScript SEO problem. So for example, I've seen at least twice with Angular websites, sorry, mm -hmm. Angular, I'm going to pick on you, um, mm -hmm. where the initial HTML that was being sent over the server was essentially a blank page. Like it was completely mm -hmm. CSR, which is client-side rendering, being filled in. And in this case, Google was literally just canonicalizing one blank page to another, even though the resulting pages were completely different and the client was very confused. It's like, because when you went into Search Console, why is it canonicalizing this to this? They're like completely different. And when I showed them, I said, well, the initial page that's being sent from the serger, server is blank. And for whatever reason, Google decided that it wasn't worth sending the page through the rendering system to actually get, you know, the final page. Um, so I've seen that problem. So that would be, I want to rule that out first as a potential explanation of why it appears that Google's, you know, ignoring the canonical. So that would be like the first thing is let's make sure there's not a technical problem that's that's actually doing this and then yeah i mean it, it it's you know you make sure you want to use the canonical correctly like generally it's not the best idea to canonicalize page paginated pages to your first page it's not really the appropriate use to the canonical and yeah i mean you know that so that would be the second thing is just making sure that you're following the rules which is like 
your page that you're canonicalizing is actually a subset. It shows, or it's, it's similar to the page. And, you know, there's just going to be times when Google is going to ignore your canonicals. You just want to be in a situation where that's the exception rather than the rule. Um, so further than that, I mean, I really would have to look at the specific instance to kind of give you the advice. Uh, but uh, that would be the first thing. Eliminate any technical problem because that's I've seen that a lot. And then follow the canonical kind of like guidance that Google gives you. And then if it's still a problem, then, you know, maybe take a look and look at the traffic. It's like, is the traffic going to the page you're canonicalizing? Are you linking, you know, are you, are you linking to your canonical URLs or are you linking to the URLs that are canonicalized? Maybe you should adjust your internal linking so that you're always linking to your canonical URLs. That would be another thing to look at. So I don't know, there's a bunch of things off the top of my head that I would look at on a problem like that. Yeah, well explained. You know, I, I like it, you know, how you can explain, you know, short, long answer, you know, <laughs> to explain in details. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And uh, let's talk about uh, JavaScript. Can mm -hmm. you tell for someone who doesn't know what JavaScript means and how it can help in SEO? Yeah, well, uh, a lot of SEOs would say it often doesn't help. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's talk about JavaScript. So maybe five, six, I'm, I'm not sure, quite sure of the time frame. It used to be that Google didn't un understand sites that were dependent on JavaScript. That has been changed. Google has improved their infrastructure generally, although not as often as we would like, uh, but generally they can understand um, the JavaScript, they can execute the JavaScript and they can understand the rendered page. And one way you can kind of check is you can use either the mobile friendly test, the URL inspector, and even the rich results um, test. And then all these tools will show you the HTML and you can take a look at the HTML and just make sure that everything you think should be there is there. So that would be one thing because Google still has times where it doesn't completely render the the javascript correctly but let's take a step back and talk a little bit about how google actually understands sites with javascript because this is kind of important to understand so initially when your browser makes a request to the server um, the server generally will send over the raw html and i've alluded to this already um, so this, you know, so a bunch of files come over, the HTML file comes over, you know, any images, CSS, and JavaScript. And then the browser um, will actually go, and there's a whole, we could get into this because it's very relevant to PageSpeed. The browser will actually kind of start with the HTML, and then as it processes the HTML, it will grab the files it needs. Like, oh, here's an image. Okay, grab the image. Oh, this requires CSS. Grab the CSS. And oh, there's a script tag. I need to grab, you know, this the JavaScript, and it will execute this, the JavaScript, and then it will then finally render the page. Uh, that's all complete with everything in it. 
So that's kind of the process. So what Google has done is they've kind of simulated that process with, um, they call it their web rendering service. So when Google crawls a page, it initially will crawl the raw HTML that the server sends over. And then it, and then it will um, take what it can from that raw HTML. And then it will send that page to the rendering service. And that rendering service will do all the things I just described, which is to execute the JavaScript to fully update the page. So um, some of the things I alluded to, you got to be a little bit careful with. You want like your meta tags to be the same and the raw HTML and the rendered yeah. HTML. Because you know what people, some, sometimes what happens is platforms have like a default title tag and the raw HTML. And then, you know, it's not until the page is actually rendered that the title tag is updated to be some custom thing that's much better. So you had to watch out for um, cases where the raw HTML conflicts with the rendered HTML. Canonical tags is another one. Um, I didn't even mention yeah. this, but you can have situations where the canonical tag is different in the raw HTML than the rendered HTML. So you don't want to do any of that. You want all that stuff to be the same. Um, you want as much as possible to have all your links in the raw HTML. Um, some of that's not always completely possible, but that's what you want. And then Google kind of says, well, it's fine to wait until the rendering phrase to pull in your content. Personally, I like to see the H1 in the raw HTML. I also like to see at least the introductory paragraph, because I think it's important for Google at least to get a sense of what the page is about. Because what we've really noticed, and there's been a num number of stories on this, is that Google doesn't always send all pages through the rendering phase because it's more expensive for them. So if it thinks that page is not very high quality, it may just never send that page to the rendering yeah. service and then, you know, it never gets indexed or you know, so you, you kind of don't want that. So you need to give Google at least infor enough information with the title tag, maybe the H1, a little bit of content links so that it under it can kind of get a sense of what the page is about. And then it says, yeah, this looks like a good page. I'll send it through the rendering service to get the rest of the information. So those, those are kind of the thing, that's kind of the basic walkthrough. Um, now, when it comes to JavaScript, there's different techniques. There's client-side rendering, and then there's server-side rendering. And server-side rendering means pretty much what it sounds, like all the JavaScript rendering is done on the server, and so what is sent over is the final page. So you don't even have to worry too much about Google rendering it because it's all done. And when it shows up, it's completely done. So server-side rendering is often recommended. Um, and um, Kevin Indig, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, recently yeah. published an article where he said he had some case studies where sites that went from CSR, client-side rendering, to server-side rendering actually saw uh, between a 30% and a 2x uplift in traffic. So 
you know, so that kind of argues that you should think about when you do cl client-side rendering, you should be pretty careful about what you keep on the client. It should be like enhancements to the page rather than completely depending on client-side rendering to show your page. So hopefully that was kind of just a, a quick, you know, one-on-one introduction to the topic. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, we talked about tools. Um, one of the cool things that is several tools will help you see the discrepancies between the raw HTML and the rendered HTML. Uh, Jet Octopus, um, Screaming Frog has a JavaScript tag that will show you things like the no index tag is only in the raw HTML. So use these tools because they'll help you find these kind of problems. Um, and now that you kind of understand that there's two types of HTML, one comes over initially and one, one gets rendered by the browser, you now that you have that context, you can look for these sort of problems. Nice. Yeah, well explained. Love it, love it. And uh, Katie, can you list uh, mistakes that companies still do uh, by optimi uh, optimizing with JavaScript and uh, your tips how to find a much better way? Yeah, I would say one, you know, one tip I've already kind of mentioned is completely re uh, depending on um, server side, I mean, sorry, client side rendering for everything. Mm -hmm. You know, client side rendering really should be more for interaction. You know, let's say you have a page and you interact with a page and it responds to you using JavaScript. That's the perfect case for a client-side JavaScript implementation is to give the user a more dynamic and interactive um, experience. That's when you want to use JavaScript on the client. Um, everything else, as much as you can, should be on the server, whether it's a static page or it's server-side rendering, you know, meta tags, you know, all the static elements really should be on the server as much as you can um, because it doesn't it doesn't need to be on the client right the cl you should reserve um, the JavaScript on the client just to enhance the user experience that's the perfect it's kind of adding the bells and whistles to the page so to speak so that that would be the you know the one thing I would say and I mean the other you know classic problems are when you know, well, here's a good one because I haven't mentioned this. So I was looking at a site and they literally, you know how you have like 404 pages, right? This particular site, very heavy JavaScript, very reliant on client-side JavaScript. And so what they were doing is when a page was requesting, they were sending like a 200 page back and it was the home page. And then on the client, they were executing some JavaScript to actually go find the actual real page, the page that was actually being requested. And sometimes that request would come back with a 404. And so then they would show a 404 page. So yeah, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that, that that's bad. Gotcha. So, I mean, there's, so yeah, just, you know, the basic like serve, you know, don't, you know, don't do stuff like have a different response code for the initial raw HTML versus the rendered. Um, you know, as I say, think about serving at least a decent HTML skeleton as the raw HTML, 
have the, you know, don't change the meta tags, you know, have them right in the raw, you know, maybe, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it, you know, when you tell a developer, it's like, I need this template to be more complete, you know, the skeletons that they might have on the server. And so you might have to work with a developer to get that skeleton to be a little more fleshed out. So that's actually what's being sent over before the client side JavaScript is getting executed. Nice, nice, valuable, valuable. Katie, I have the final question about sure. your experience. You know, I found that, no, I usually get high results with clients who understand ACO. If they don't, I tell them, take my course, learn from Lily Ray, Jeff <laughs> Coyle, Mike Phillips, go to Google, go to YouTube, just learn, you know, get the basic because if we understand how to create high quality content, why we need to create high quality content, uh, why it's important to have website uh, without errors, uh, site speed, uh, high quality backlinks, many things. Yeah, we, we can cooperate like a cohesive team. Uh, let's imagine if you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, it's your first day in ACO. You don't know Tyson Stockton. You don't know anyone from Previsible. It's your <laughs> first day. Uh, what will you do today to learn more about ACO? Oh boy, that's a hard question because I would say it depends on the type of site that you're working on. You know, are you working on a blog? Are you working on e-commerce? Are you working on um, a marketplace? I guess the first thing, and maybe this this is, it's kind of almost not SEO, is I would almost start at the digital marketing layer. Who's your client? what are their top problems and what's their journey to get to the point that what are the steps they need to take or what is the information they need to know to get to the point where they're going to take the action that you want them to take whether that's to buy something fill in a contact form you know whatever is the the primary bottom line metric that you're really interested because that's one thing I would really first starting understand the business, the clients, and what is that bottom line metric? Like, is it, you know, conversions? How are we measuring those conversions? Um, you know, what, you know, do we have different sections of the sites that have different conversions? How, how are those conversions different from the different page types that I was talking about? So really, I realize that this is not helping you anybody learn SEO, but if you're like in-house or you're a consultant or whatever, and you're coming into a brand new situation, you got to understand the business and the business goals. And then, you know, then I would say, then it's about what channels do you use to attract your users? Do you use paid or not? Are, how many users, how, what's the percentage of users that you get that come from organic? With some sites, they're, it's primarily a social paid thing. You know, organic is, you know, the only organic they get is branded. So, I mean, that kind of lands, understanding that landscape and that lay of the land is, is, is critically important for you to be a valuable team member to the business. Because then you might, you know, let's just say, you know, it's they mostly, you know, they get most of their traffic from 
you know, social and paid and they get mostly branded traffic and they come to you and go, our organic traffic has dropped by blah, 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 blah. And you go and look and it's mostly branded traffic. So it's not a function so much of um, SEO. It's that the brand is getting less popular and people are searching on it less. So that kind of insight is going to be very valuable. It's like, well, it's not so much that our SEO has a problem. It's that our brand is not getting searched on as much. So anyway, these are just some examples. You really under, need to understand the landscape of what you're dealing with to really be effective at, at SEO. And yes, you know, if you don't nothing, nothing, nothing about SEO, um, there's a lot of free resources that I could mention, like the Moz. There's certainly courses that you can take. Um, Moz has a great kind of series of articles. Uh, Aleta Solist, Solist, I think I'm saying her name correctly. She has a learning SEO kind of template site that is also really useful. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's the classic. You need to understand, you know, there's crawling, there's indexation there's ranking, and then there's backlinks. And so you need to understand each one of those pieces or have access to people who understand those pieces. And so if you're brand new, I almost say, you you know, once you understand the business stuff, like I just said, maybe you need to get a mentor um, or some, you know, some, or get on us, get on into the, this is, you know, there's a bunch of Slack groups you can join where you can ask questions. I belong to several of them. Um, because yeah, learning SEO in two weeks is not going to happen. So you need help. <laughs> so that's probably my, <laughs> my big, that's what I would say for that situation. Yeah. I think, yeah, for, for a few weeks, you can understand the basic, you know, yeah. Sure. If you want to cooperate with, Specialist, yeah, uh, basic you need to have if you want to hire someone because you know, for example, if I uh, start something new, I usually do it myself, I make mm -hmm. my hands dirty. You know, for example, I started PR, I didn't get any links, any mentions. Uh, I wrote a bunch of press releases, I pitched them, mm -hmm. but nobody mm -hmm. cared. But I got the process how it works, then right, I had. I hired specialists who can write press releases, who know the topic. I hired specialists who can pitch these press releases. I organized the process and we got links on CNN, Forbes, many wow, other great resources. Those are great. Yeah. And you know, uh, because of knowing the process, uh, I can't beat PR specialists who spent 10 years, you know, by learning about that. But uh, when you understand, you can cooperate with great experts like you, Katie, you know, if I'm going <laughs> to find great specialists in technical optimization. Yeah, I prefer to cooperate with you, with Olga Zar, many other great experts, because they can see another side. It's not like to have tools, Google Search Console, Screaming Frog, <laughs> and think that these tools will decide everything. No, they can't. No, they can share no. data. Yeah. But you need to cooperate with specialists who can tell what kind of data you need from these tools. Yeah, Katie. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. for example, I mean, I'm not a digital PR expert. So if I was to do something like that, I would want to find somebody who could help me with yeah. that. Because that's really not my, I mean, I know enough to kind of talk to a client about it and devise them. That's a good way for them to go. But I always tell them that that's not my specialty. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Katie, it's a big pleasure to get in my show, to learn from you. Tell the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm Kathy Alice Brown. If you search, you will find that. I'm Kathy Alice on Twitter. Um, I have started, re I, I, you know, I have been, I ha I've been so busy. I, I really haven't done a lot of content, but recently I've started doing my content. I've worked on my site. And then, so I do have a blog at webenzo.com. That's W-E-B-E-N-S-O.com. You can also, I mean, I'm also got kathyalisbrown.com. And if you go to kathyalis.brown.com, I do have some Udemy courses that if you click there, you'll get, you know, the coupon code to get them at the discount. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would say, um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about some technical SEO things, you go to my blog. Um, if you just want to talk to me, I'm pretty easy to find. You'll find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. So just hit me up on one of those channels. And yeah, I, I you know, love always talking about technical things, really curious what people are doing with AI. So uh, let's have a conversation and um, let's collaborate. Nice, nice, nice. Great. Guys, you can find the links to Katie Ellis Brown in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Love it. I'm going to follow you on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on your blog, you know, at any place because I can see a lot of value. Guys, I recommend to anyone to follow because you can see value, value, and this value can help you to find the right direction. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.